Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Luke chapter 9, and we'll begin reading in verse 23. And the word of the Lord reads, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. The English theologian and Bible teacher, uh, Arthur W. Pink, once wrote, Taking up my cross means a life voluntarily surrendered to God. And, And the thing is, is the wait is actually over. The light for us has turned green and it's time to go. At so many points in our lives, in so many places we've come to, we have, we've, we've come to the place where we must decide, right? We come to the place so many times in our lives that we, we need to take action. Because we can only live in the theoretical world for so long. We can, we can only think about something so long. At some point, we have to make a decision. We have to take action. At some point, a person has to say, yes, I will marry you, or no, I won't. At some point, you have to decide, are you going to look for another job, or are you going to stay where you are? At some point, you have, to, you have to decide, are you going to stand up for what is right, or are you going to remain silent? Will you jump out of the plane when it's your turn to jump? Will you get out of the bed you know, and face that difficult appointment that you simply just want to keep avoiding? At some point, you, know, you actually need to do your taxes. At some point, right, you, you need to decide what is for dinner and stop asking the question back and forth, what do you want? At some point, you actually need to go to the doctor and actually figure out what that thing is that you've been worrying about. At some point, you need to forgive. At some point, you need to just reach out and and make reconciliation. And not just talk about it, and and not just think about it, and and not just read books about it, and not just listen to sermons about it. At some point, you just need to decide and and, and do it. There comes a point in all of our lives where we need to cross over, that we need to stop making excuses and we need to take action. And that's really kind of the the point of where we're going to go today in this series. Now, last week I mentioned that we were going to talk about global missions and how how we fit into that. And that was certainly my intention. Um, But this week I really felt that God was dealing with my heart. and, um, and, and, And as I was getting ready for this message, I felt like there was something missing before we moved on. I mean, to this point, we have made a, we've talked about the fact that Jesus came to earth on a mission. And that mission was to what? To save sinners. And that you and I know that we have all been called to be a part of that mission. mission right? In fact, you, that's why we were saved. You were not saved simply for you. You were saved to be on mission for Christ. You were created, as Paul says, in Christ Jesus for something. And we know that that's, that's part of the mission. And we know that our part in the mission itself is to go out and make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. We're to go out and share the hope of Christ with, with people around us. And then we are to then help them to get plugged into the, the body of, or the church. And we're to teach them how to follow Jesus so they can also make disciples. And we learned that, that we have been uniquely equipped for this. Because when you were saved... You were radically transformed into something new. The Bible says that the old has, is gone and the new has come. We have been moved from death into life. We have, been, we have been reborn, as Jesus says. We've been made into a new creation. And, and life in the kingdom of God is radically different than the rest of the world. And we are equipped to live that life because we have been made in Christ Jesus radically different than the rest of the world. In fact, Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. Very different than the rest of the world. We are the instruments that God is using to preserve what is good and right in the world around us. And, and we are the light that God uses to shine forth the truth about Jesus and who he is and his salvation for all the world to see. And then last week we talked about the fact 
that, that part of our mission is, is, is for us to not only talk about the hope and, and, and the love of Christ, but we're to demonstrate that hope and love. That we're to proclaim the gospel with our lips and we're to meet people where they are and in their place of need and we're to demonstrate that love in our actions just as Jesus himself did. And like I said, you know, I intended to talk about you know, the scope of the mission, how, how big it is, which really is literally the entire world. We are to make disciples everywhere. And I'd planned to talk about you know, what that looks like for you and me and, and how we participate in that. But again, I feel like God was leading me in a different direction. And so today, um, we're going to talk about really crossing over from, from being a hearer of the word to actually being a doer of the word with respect to being all in for the mission of Christ. Now, if, if, if you're new here, or if you have missed the last four weeks, you might feel a little bit like you've walked into the middle of a conversation that's already been started. And in a sense, you have. Okay? Certainly, you're going to be able to keep up with what we're talking about, but there's some parts of this that might seem like I'm going really fast. Well, I can help you with that because we've uploaded all these messages to our church website and also our SoundCloud page, and you can listen you know, to all of those, and that way you have a better context for what we're, what we're talking about. And if you would like, if, tech, if that kind of technology is not for you, then ask, put an information request card in, and we'll make CDs for you as well. But, uh, but by doing this, it'll do two things. It'll get you caught up, and number two, it'll help you to become all in for the mission that Christ is calling you to. Now, today, I'm just going to lay all my cards on the table. Right from the beginning, and I'm going to tell you that it is, it, it's just time to cross over the, the threshold. It's, it's time to take the leap. It, it is time for us to, to take action. We stand today at the precipice. We stand at the jumping off place, and it either you will decide to jump or you will decide to back away. Now, when I talk like this, I understand that, that a message like this will be received differently by different people because every one of you has a different walk. Every one of you is a different place in your spiritual maturity with God. Every one of you has a different and unique relationship. You're at a different place where God has led you. And, and some of you are believers who have served God for a long time, and you're actively making disciples everywhere you go. Others of you love Jesus, but for some reason you're just not all the way plugged in and involved as you, as you know that you should be, or if, if, if you're not if involved at all. And others of you may have actually made a profession of faith when they were young, right? And they've maybe prayed a prayer, but maybe you're not really actually a believer that you actually haven't crossed the line to really put your hope and trust in Jesus and made him your savior. Right? And I mention this is because I want you to hear this message from your perspective where you are. Let the word of God speak to you where you are right now. Because no matter what stage of spiritual maturity you're in, you, God is calling you into a deeper and deeper um, spiritual relationship. He's calling you to a, different, a deeper uh, commitment. He is calling all of us to make a decision. And he's calling you to, to take that next step in faith. And, and, and the point of, of today is to encourage you to actually take that step. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And one of the things that we need to realize contextually about this particular scripture is that it's found verbatim in, 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 in three out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Word for word almost, right, it's found in these Gospels. This text is so important that each of the authors decided to include that in their Gospel. And that really should tell us something. Because every Gospel has its own theme, its own perspective, and its own purpose. For example, right, as we've been talking about, that the book of Matthew has, was written to declare that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the king. It's a declaration of, of Christ's uh, uh, sovereignty and what kingdom life is supposed to be like. While the book of Mark was written to portray Christ as Jesus the suffering servant. Jesus is the servant of the Lord doing his job and, and that he did what God had called him to do. In fact, the emphasis is on what Christ actually did. In fact, I don't know if you realize it, but Mark records more miracles than, than Matthew, Luke, and John. And then the book of John was written uh, to make very clear that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. That's why 
That's why, that's why John opens up with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's why John, over and over again, makes the, the I am statements about Jesus, where Jesus himself you know, makes the I am statement related to Exodus. He is making it very clear that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. And then Luke, he wrote his gospel to help people see that Jesus is the perfect man. Right? Hence the reason why he focuses on the, on, on the events of Jesus' life that stresses humanity. Right? The Greeks in their art and in their literature always were looking for the perfect man and the Gospel of Luke reveals that Jesus is just that, the, the perfect man as well as being God. And so with all of these things and all of these differences and, and these different audiences that they're trying to appeal to and the varied purposes that they're writing, these different accounts, there are several important details that all of them share. There's several important events that they all come back to and, and, and actually repeat, just like today's text. And, and, and what that tells us then is that this particular detail is important. It's something that they all felt was important to include. Also, each one of these Gospels places this particular text in the same part of the timeline in, in, in history. It's, they have the same historical context. Jesus, just before he has this conversation with his disciples, has fed the 4,000 people as a demonstration of his power and, of, and as of his compassion. And, and then he asks his followers soon after that, who does the world say that I am? And they say, well, you know, uh, Elijah, John the Baptist, the prophets... Then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter immediately says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. right?" And Jesus then tells them to not tell anybody yet. It's not time for him to reveal that. And then he begins to explain to them that he must suffer and die and, then th- and be resurrected three days later. And in Matthew and Mark, his, those accounts record Peter is trying to rebuke Jesus, saying, that's not going to happen to you. And then Jesus turns and rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. We've heard that, right? Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And then, after that, Jesus begins to to talk to his disciples and tell them what it really actually means to follow him. So so here's the thing that you need to realize. He spent the last three years leading these men. They have been following him everywhere he's gone. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been meeting people's needs. He's done incredible miracles, proving that he's not only just the Messiah, right, but he is God in the flesh, which is something his, his followers really haven't wrapped their heads around. And after he does these miracles and, and this incredible display of power, and they confess that they believe him to be the Messiah, after that happens, Jesus says, I'm going to have to make this gigantic sacrifice. I'm going to die, but then be resurrected. And then in light of that conversation, then Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is is this expression, if anyone would come after me. Because this is really kind of an odd expression. Sometimes these these things translate in English kind of, kind of odd. I mean, because what does it mean to come after me? Does that, is it a bad thing, like they're coming after me? Right? Or is that a good thing, like, you know? Well, well the, the simple answer to this is that it's, it's, it's if anyone would, would, would follow me, that's really what Jesus is getting at, is if anyone would follow me, then let him deny himself and take up his cross, is kind of the idea. Now, as simple as that is, there's actually a little more to it than that. In fact, the Greek itself... The word-for-word translation in the Greek, if you translate it literally from, from one language to the next, it reads like this. If anyone desires after me to come. That's how the Greek is worded. And the thing that you need to notice here is the word desire here. Right? The word desire is an important component. The word, the word desire is the, is, the, is the heart of this phrase. The catalyst for this entire text and what it means to be after God is the word desire. You see, what Jesus is saying is if anyone would desire to come after me, or if anyone would want to choose to come after me, or if anyone would, would desire to, to follow me, is, is kind of the basic idea. Right? It's about desiring to be a follower of Christ. Now, why is that important? It's important because if the desire isn't there, then the rest of this is irrelevant. There's not really anything else to talk about. If there's not a desire to follow where Jesus leads, if, not, if there's not a desire to follow him, then, then really there's no point to talk anymore. It's, 
pointless and irrelevant. The catalyst of this entire text is, is a desire. Do you or do you not really want to follow Jesus? That's the question that every reader must ask himself. Do I or do I not want to follow Jesus? Do I desire to be his follower? Now that might seem like a little silly question, um, but it's one that we really need to ask because, because trusting in Christ is actually following him. You see, believing in Jesus isn't simply believing a set of facts. It isn't simply just an intellectual acknowledgement about who he is. It's about making him the Lord of our lives. Paul says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? That he is the Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is the Lord of our lives. Right? And, and, and when you put your faith in him, right, then, then we are to follow him. We're to follow where he goes. We're to do what he does. We're to go where he leads. And we're to do what he says to do. The Christian life is about being a follower. So, so do I, or do I not, desire or want to follow him? That really is, is the question. Now, now the question that, that's next that we should ask is, why? Why would I want to follow Christ? Why does anyone desire to be a follower of Christ? Why would anyone want to go where Jesus says to go and, and go where, where he, he leads? Well, Peter answers the question for us in, in John chapter 6. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The reason why they would come after Christ and go where he goes and, and go where he leads is because he's the Messiah. He is, he is the one who has eternal life in him. He is eternal life. That's why they would follow him. And that's why we follow him. That's the reason why. We desire to follow Christ because in him is life. Life eternal. In him is our hope. Our only hope. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Peter said, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ is all our hope. He's our only hope. He is the solution to our greatest problem, which is the fact that we're sinners who will face one day a wrathful God. In Jesus is all that we will ever need and is all that we will ever hope for. Jesus is life eternal. That's why we want or desire to follow him. But Jesus says, if anyone would come after me or if anyone would desire to follow me, then let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a, there's a number of verses that I think every Christian should memorize, and this is, this is one of them. Because this is, this is really the heart of the matter right here. Because in this text, Jesus gives us a very clear direction. He says, if anyone would come after me or desire to be my follower, let him do three things. Number one, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. We are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. Now I want you to notice how this, this particular sentence is constructed. One of the things when you're studying the Bible, sometimes you, it's easy to miss the, the little um, subtleties in, in, the, um, uh, in the way that, that words are constructed. But there's, the sentence is constructed this way. This verse actually is bookended by the same idea. And the idea is following Christ. Jesus says, if you desire to come after me, at, is the, at the beginning, and then he says, follow me. And so the idea is simply this. If you desire to follow me, then do just that. Follow me. And I'm not trying to be oversimplistic here, right? But this is the overarching point, right? And I don't want you to miss this because it's important. Okay, this is the jumping off place. This is the threshold, you know, that we need to cross. This is where we must, we, you know, that we need to make a decision to be all in. If we desire to follow Christ, if we desire to be his follower, if we desire to have a relationship with Christ, trusting him as our Savior and Lord, then we need to follow him. 
We need to actively go where he goes and do what he, what he does and, say, and, and do what he, what he calls us to do. It, it's not enough for us to simply just sit here on Sunday morning and, 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 and sit in a comfortable chair and listen to, to someone talk. It's not enough for us to listen to our worship songs on the way to, to town and feel the goosebumps as we feel God's presence. It's not enough for, for us to, um, to like all of our, our friends' Christian posts on Facebook and, and, and all the scriptures that they post. It's not enough for us to intellectually acknowledge the truthfulness of the gospel. It's not enough for us to do Bible studies and listen to sermon podcasts all the time. All those are good things, but that is not enough. At some point, you must cross over the threshold and actually begin following Christ, going where he says to go, doing what he says to do. At some point, you must begin to reflect Christ in your character. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, right, you want to belong to me, then follow me. Actively follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Go where I'm leading you. Don't just say, I'm with you, Jesus. Be with me. Right? Don't just hear what I say. Do what I say. Following Jesus is your faith in action. It is your faith welling up inside of you, compelling you forward to do something. Following Jesus and, and going where he calls you to is, is actually a natural byproduct of your faith in him. Now, I want you to hear me and, and understand where I'm coming from. I am not saying that you must physically do something to be saved. I have not said that. I won't ever say that. I stand firm on Ephesians 2. For, you, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. You cannot possibly earn your salvation. You cannot possibly make God love you more than he already loves you. You cannot do enough stuff to be in right standing with God. It's all by his grace and the blood of Jesus Christ that you can possibly be saved. You're not saved by your works, but I want you to understand that in the same paragraph, Paul's next words are for, in light of that you are saved by grace, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, right? Which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them or that we should do them. You were saved for a reason. You were not saved simply for you. You were saved for a reason. You were saved to actually actively follow Christ. You were saved to go where he goes, and you were saved to do what he's called you to do. You were saved to be on mission for Christ, and your, your salvation is a manifestation of that active pursuit of Jesus. Being a Christ follower results in following Christ. Again, that might seem simplistic, but it's, but it's the very basic truth. Being a Christ follower results in following Christ. That's what he's saying here. If you desire to follow me, you desire to be my follower, then get busy following me. Now, in between these two bookends of following Jesus in this, in this phrase, he helps us to see what that looks like to follow him. He says, if you have a desire to come after me, if you want to follow me, then, then here's what you actually you actively need to do to follow me. And there are two things. You need to deny yourself, and you need to take up your cross. And so this is a place right here that I want to encourage you all to take a deep breath. Okay? Because this is one of those texts that's really hard to wrestle with. This is one of those texts that people don't like to think about a whole lot. The words are very sharp here. Right? He even goes on to talk about denying him and being denied and, and gaining your life and losing your life. Right? This is not one of those texts that make us comfortable. This is one of those texts that challenges our status quo. Because let's be honest, many of us Christians, we really like the status quo. We, we, we like to call ourselves Christians, but we also want to really live comfortably too. Right? I mean, let's just be real. We want to acknowledge Jesus in our lives, but we don't always want to make him the very center of our lives. I mean, we, we say we do. You know, we say we'd like for that to happen. We don't always really, really want that. I mean, yes, we love him, and we, and we love our neighbors, and we love fellowship, and we love to worship, and we, we love the whole you know, Christian experience, but we also really, really love being very comfortable. We, we, we love our stuff for ourselves. 
We, we, we like the familiar relationships and hanging out with people that are kind of like us and, you know, familiar. We, you know, we like having to not have to come out of the comfort zone very far. We, we like getting full night's sleep. We like, we like not having, you know, our quiet time interrupted. We, we like to watch all of our shows when we want to watch them. We like to play our games, and we certainly like to pursue our hobbies. And sometimes we just want to be left alone. And, and believe me, those aren't, those are not bad things in and of themselves. Those things are actually can be good, but, but they tend to become the center of our lives because, because those things are focused on us. And, and one of the things that we instinctively want to do is we want to be the center of our own lives. That's what we want. Let's just be honest. I mean, I will. I am naturally inclined to make myself the center of my life. I always want to be included. I always want things to be about me. I always want to have my own way. I want to spend the time, my time the way I want to. I want to spend my money the way I want to. I want to do the things that I'm interested in, and I want to avoid all the things that I don't like and all the things that I'm not interested in. And when we have conversations, my natural default that I'm always having to fight is to make the conversation about me. Right? When, when I see something happening around me, I naturally think, how's this going to affect me. When people come to talk to me and tell me about their problems, I'm thinking, what does this have to do with me? I naturally gravitate towards making me the center of my life. And so do you. We all do. But Jesus says, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, if you're going to follow me, then this is the thing that has to change. Because actively following me is going to require two things from you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. You are to deny yourself and you are to pick up your cross and then follow Jesus. But the thing is, both of these are kind of scary. Right? They're, they're kind of intimidating and they're certainly inconvenient at times. Because the truth is, both of these at some point will what? Cost you something. Look what it says. Deny yourself and take up your cross. These two ideas have huge implications for you if you want to follow Christ. In fact, let's look a little bit closer at what it says. What does it mean for when Jesus says deny yourself? Is, is he asking for us to live this life of asceticism where we purposely shun comfort and convenience and we embrace you know, you know, pain and suffering and, and self-inflicted pain? I mean, there have been people who call themselves Christians who believed that for many, many centuries? Or is it, is it purposely living in poverty where we literally give away everything we have and we just live hand to mouth you know, and shunning any kind of material possessions? Again, there have been people who, who believed that they were following Christ and thought that's what he meant, to deny yourself. Or, or does denying yourself mean that you should shun all pleasure? You should never take joy in anything, especially your Christian service. I mean, if you do help someone, you better not feel good about it, because then if you do, then it's about you and it's not about God. That's not denying yourself. Is, is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, praise the Lord, that's not at all what he means. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, you know, the Greek word here that gets translated as deny certainly means deny, and it also means to disown or repudiate, but it also means to say no. In other words, when you deny yourself, what you are doing is you are in essence saying no to you. That's what it means. It means you're saying no to yourself. Now, why would anybody ever say no to themselves? Well, there's lots of reasons to say no to yourself. You could probably think of a bunch of them, like when you are driving your brand new car and think, I wonder if I can see how fast this thing will go on the freeway. Probably a good time to say no, right? Or you think to yourself, you know what? I would like to spend, uh, I'd like to go this weekend and get a whole new wardrobe, even though I'm broke. I can use my credit card. Probably a good time to say no, right? Or how about when you just feel that urge to throat punch someone because of what they said? Again, a really good time for you to say no to yourself. Or, or here's this one. This is the most common one. How about going to social media and then, like, calling people out and, like, just pouring all your, your la dirty laundry on social media. Probably another good time to say no. Or how about when your friend needs you desperately and they're, like, they want to be with you, you know, because their life's falling apart and they need somebody to talk to. But, man, I'm in the middle of this season that I'm binge-watching on Netflix. 
Again, probably a good time to deny yourself. The thing is, we all know what it's like to deny ourselves. We do it all the time. And so this is not a strange commandment from, from Jesus, right? It's, we, we, we do it when it's the right thing to do. We do it when it's in our best interest. We deny ourselves. We say no all the time. So denying yourself really isn't the issue. The issue is, why is Jesus telling us to deny ourselves? Why is he saying that? Because he's not telling us not to be happy. Okay, let's just be really, really clear. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. He's not telling us that we can't have some material possessions. He never, ever said that you have to live dirt poor. He's not telling us that you can't sleep in occasionally. He's not telling you that you can't enjoy good food. He's not saying that you can't even get angry and sometimes stand up for yourselves. He's not saying those things. What is Jesus really getting at when he says deny yourselves? Well, the short answer is simply this. Denying yourself is setting aside your own will when it conflicts with God's. That's simply what it means. It's saying no to you when your will conflicts with God's will. Jesus is saying that when your desires or your wants or your will don't line up with where God says you need to be, then what you're supposed to do is say no. It's that simple. And this right here gives us a really, you know, a good beginning or a baseline to, to operate from in our life. Because on some level, you know what God's will for your life is. Now, you might say, no, I don't, right? And you might not know where he wants you to be in 10 or 15 years, but there are some fundamental things that you know about God's will for your life. You know for a fact that God wants you to walk in personal holiness. If you're a Christian, you know that. You know that God is calling you to live you know, in personal holiness. The Bible makes it clear that you were to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ, and Christ was holy. So you were to walk in personal holiness. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.16, right, that God speaking says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Which means, when you desire something like looking at pornography, you need to deny yourself, because that is certainly not God's will for your life. Or if you're willfully holding a grudge, and living ungraciously, you need to deny yourself of that because that is not God's will for your life. I mean, there's lots of things that you know that, are, that, 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 that you might at some point in your life desire that are not God's will for your life. Like sex before marriage or cohabitation, moving in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, or lying to your parents or taking something that doesn't belong to you, or gossiping, or creating division in a church, or cheating on your spouse, or acting out same-sex attractions, all of those things are sin, and therefore not God's will for your life. And because of that, you should deny yourself these things, no matter what the urge that you may feel. Anything that is sinful, anything that is destructive, anything that, is, that lacks in grace, anything that is hateful, anything that's rooted in selfishness is by definition not God's will for your life and therefore should be denied. I think it's a good foundational understanding of, of this and we, should do, and we would do well to practice it. But notice Jesus doesn't stop here with this. He doesn't just say, deny yourself. He says, take up your cross. Now, when Jesus <clears throat> told his disciples that, there's a really, really clear understanding at this point in history what, 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 that was in, what that involved. They knew what it meant to carry your cross because crucifixion was a horrible, everyday reality. They have seen it. They know what it's about. And, and they knew that carrying your cross meant that you were a dead man walking. That's just the truth, that you're a dead man walking. Because, because that's what happened. People would, who, were, who were crucified, once they were sentenced, they were, they were forced to pick up the crossbeam of their cross. And they had to carry it all the way to the place to where they would be nailed to that and then have it attached to an upright. And then that would be hoisted up in the air and then you would hang there until you died. And that is the picture. This, this carrying a cross, this marching to your own Death is the picture that Jesus uses not only to foreshadow his own death, but it's the picture that Jesus uses to describe discipleship, what it means to really follow him. It's the idea that, that coming after Jesus involves his disciples willingly 
picking up and embracing their own cross. And not just one time, but daily. Because he says, pick up that cross daily. Now, there's, there's a lot to say about this. There's the, in fact, there's a lot of applications that you can make about this particular text, right? Because, because what does a cross represent? Well, it represents death, which means that we should die to ourselves daily. Right? We've heard that before, that we should mortify the flesh. We should die to ourselves daily. It also represents suffering. The cross represented horrible suffering. And the fact of the matter is, is, is a Christian... We are to embrace suffering because if you follow Christ long enough, at some point you will experience suffering. Jesus never, not one time ever, promised that you will have a pain-free, problem-free life. If you find that verse, please bring it to me and show it to me because I'd like to see that. It's, it's not there. He's never promised that. He never preached a prosperity gospel, ever. In fact, he told us the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have what? You will have trouble. Or you'll have tribulations, another way that's, it's put. He also promised that the world's going to hate you because it hated him first. The Christian life is about accepting the fact that there are going to be times we're going to suffer. And sometimes, some Christians will suffer greatly. Picking up the cross also represents sacrifice. Jesus willingly picked up his cross and he died in our place to set us free. He sacrificed himself right, for us. And we are to do the same. We are all called to make sacrifices. Now, we're not called to be nailed to a cross, but we are certainly called to sacrifice some of our time. We're certainly called to sacrifice some of our our talent. We're, We're called to sacrifice some of our resources for the cause of Christ. And even some people will sacrifice their own lives for the cause of Christ, which happens all around the world. If you, if you pay attention to Open Doors, which is a Christian uh, missionary company that, that ministers to martyrs and people who are, who are being persecuted, you will see this happens all the time. And I can go on and on and on. And we can actually do a whole sermon series on the idea of what it means to, to, to pick up our cross. But for today, and for the purpose of this series, I want to help you to see that picking up your cross daily is about Surrender. You see, not long after this particular conversation Jesus had, um, the night before Jesus was, was literally carrying his own cross, there was a moment where Jesus literally lived this out. And all of these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, recorded this in their, in their story. And so, Matthew 22, um, I'll read this to you. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus, he was was dreading very deeply what was going to happen to him. And it says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as you will. And as he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away. And prayed, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And in this story we see that Jesus being fully God knows what's going to happen. This has been ordained from the, from the very beginning. He knows what's, what's awaiting him. He knows that the time is near. He knows what, what's going to happen next. But being fully man, he is dreading this. Because he is going to suffer the most horrific kind of execution. A crucifixion. In fact, the word excruciating comes right from from crucifixion. Excruciating means out of the cross. So when someone says, I'm in excruciating pain, it's related to this idea. That's, That's where the word comes from, right? It's a horrific way to die. But more importantly, Jesus also knew that the sins of the entire world were going to be cast on him, and he was going to experience firsthand the full wrath of 
of God. He was going to full, he was going to experience the full, awful wrath of God Himself. He was going to be punished for all the sins of the world. But he knew that this was the will of the Father. He knew that this was God's plan. But yes, he was certainly sorrowful, and he certainly was dreading it. And he, right? In fact, Luke says that 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 he, that he was praying in agony, and that he that he, that his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. I mean, I don't know about you, but to worry, to to be so so filled full of dread, the sweat drops of blood, it's pretty incredible. And in this moment, he asks his father, "Is there any other way? Right? I mean, can, does this really have to happen?" Jesus' desire as a man was to find another solution. But in that great moment of distress, in that great moment of dread, Jesus surrendered his will to the Father. Jesus said, not as I will, but as you will. He said, let your will be done. Taking up your cross is about you surrendering your life to God. It's about surrendering your will to God. It's about accepting God's will for your life over your own will. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you need to say no to yourself and surrender your life and your will to God's will. And then follow me. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. We're to be able to say no to ourselves and say yes to God. We are to surrender our will to God's will. Even when it's hard, even when it's painful, even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient, even when it costs us something, and even if it costs us everything, we are to live in a way that says, not as I will, but as you will. If we're going to be a follower of Christ who walks in a close personal relationship with him, We need to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and surrender our will to God and get busy following Jesus. Following where he leads. Now we have pushed off our discussion of global missions and we have talked about this today because there is something that you and I just need to face. It is God's will for your life to be on mission actively making disciples. It's his will for your life. You ever come to ask me, I wonder what God's will for my life is, I'm going to say, to make disciples. It's his will for your life. You already know that. You already know what the mission of Jesus is. You already know that you have been called to be a part of that mission. You know that your part is to make disciples. You know that you have already been transformed and equipped to do this. You already know what you need to do. That you need to declare and demonstrate the love of God. That you need to share the gospel with people where they are. You and I know this. And this is God's will for your life. Every bit of this is God's will for your life. Now the question is, that you have to ask yourself, knowing this, is will you surrender to God's will? That's the only thing that's left for you to consider. Now I understand (laughs) it can be uncomfortable to talk to people. You know, I'm really comfortable talking to a, a large group of people. I'm horrible, like, one-on-one or in a small crowd. Like, I'm, I'm an introvert. That's just who I am. Like, I understand how uncomfortable that is. I understand that, that, that loving other people, especially the, the, the difficult ones and the different ones, can be taxing and, and hard and very trying. I understand that the fear of rejection can be powerful. I understand that, that you know, the fear of, of people looking at you like you're crazy or people you know, calling you a hypocrite because they don't really understand what's happened to you or people just being belligerent with you because they're offended by the fact that you're talking to them about your faith. I, I get it. And I understand that, that you have a lot on your plate. I understand that you're all busy. Oh my goodness. I understand that all of you have more to do than you can, can be done. In fact, I know that you all have a to-do list that just runs on. Some of you just stop even writing a to-do list because there's just so much to do. Right? And I understand that some of you are shy. And, and some of you, that this is so far out of your comfort zone that all you want to do is run back. And I understand all of those emotions and circumstances. And Jesus understands them too. But Jesus says... You need to say no to you. And you say no to those emotions. 
You need to say no to that fear. You need to say no to those excuses. Say no to the desire to simply sit there and say, I don't care what he's saying, I ain't doing it. Jesus says to say no to yourself. Pick up your cross and surrender yourself and your life to God and follow Jesus where he's leading you. And he's leading you. He is leading you, every one of you, to do your part in this mission. So the time is to surrender. It's time to cross the threshold and say, yes, Lord. It's time to say, not my will, but your will. Now, I have, I've touched this before. I've touched on this before. And we've talked about this, but it's really time to take action. It is time to move forward. It's time to stop planning. It's time to stop thinking about it. It is time to do something. And today is the day. So the question is, will you or will you not surrender to God's will? Will you or will you not jump in to be all in for, for Christ? Now we have talked about this for four weeks in a row. We've asked the same question, but today I want to give you some practical steps to take action. Now there's a lot more that you can do, but I'm just going to give you some, a place to jump off here. And so the first thing I want you to do is just make a short list of three people that you know who do not know Christ. Now the paper says five, because originally my plan was to give you a list of five, but then I thought that might be too intimidating, so I shortened it to three. So there's only three spaces, and I know for a fact that you know three people in your life and in your circle of influence Three people that don't know Christ. Take some time and write those names down. The next thing I want you to do is I want you to write a list of three Christians who are not plugged into the church. All right. Again, you probably know more than that, but at least three people you know that say, I love Jesus, and that they are believers, and they have a Bible, and they might even listen to worship music, but for some reason, they have not been committed to be employed into the body of Christ. There's three people in your life like that. I'm going to ask you to write their names down. And then once you write those names down, the next thing you need to do is go home and put that list somewhere that you can see it and pray that God would do two things. Prepare their hearts and then give you guidance. That God would go before you preparing their hearts because salvation is the work of God. He must be the one that prepares their hearts. Otherwise, it's going to fall on deaf ears. But also to give you guidance so that way you know the right time and place. And you need to pray, not just once. You need to pick up that cross and carry it every day. It needs to be something you do every single day. You need to pray for these people every day. Right Now, this is where now the rubber meets the road. Because the next thing, after you've been praying for these people, is you need to cross the threshold and walk in faith. You need to take action. Right? We need to intentionally show them the love of Christ. If you need to want to bake them a cake and drop it off their house, fine. If you want to send them a get well card when they're sick, then do that. Right? You need to go and intentionally love them. Let them see the love of Christ in you. You need to find ways to engage them. That way you can begin the conversation about Christ and about fellowship in the church. We need to become intentional. The thing is, is this is that area of our life. We think about and we hear about on Sunday morning, but I'm telling you, this is the part that doesn't make the to-do list during the week because I'm going to do the laundry I'm going to wash the dishes. We're going to go grocery shopping. I've got to get kids to, to, to practice and to gymnastics. And I've got to, get, get, I got to get, you know, I've got to do my tax. I've got, I've got this whole long list of things to do. But on that list somewhere, it needs to be, I need to be praying for these people and finding a way to love them. I need to actively be pursuing this, this mission. It is time for us all to no longer be hearers only, but be doers. It's time for us to be all in. And I want you to understand when I, when, when God deals with my heart in a message like this, the first person I'm preaching to is this guy right here. Okay? I want you to understand, we are all facing the same challenges. We are all facing the same, you know, roadblocks. But he's calling all of us to walk in faith and be obedient and follow him. So my question for you then is, will you or will you not surrender your life to Christ? Let me pray for you. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the way it pierces my heart. And I pray, Father, that, that all of us, Lord, would hear these words and understand that you're not calling us to, to do these things so that we can make you happy. You're calling us to do these things so we can participate in your mission. Because it's your designed will, Lord, that we get to participate. Broken vessels as we are, we get to participate in, in the salvation of the world. And that there's joy in that. And there's joy in following your will. That ultimately, what, what, your will is what glorifies you and what's best for us. And so, Father, I pray that we'd follow that. We would, we would get outside of our comfort zones. We would push aside whatever things that are holding us down. That we would just, just decide to sell out, Lord God, and tell people about Jesus. And that we would do it with love and grace. That we'd tell people the, the truth, but we'd do it graciously. That we would, can, we would not just talk about the love of Jesus, but we would then show the love of Jesus. Father, convict us and pierce our hearts to be intentional to do this, to walk in this. Our neighbors desperately need us. This community desperately needs you, Lord God. The families in this community need you, Lord. Use us, Lord God. Use us, Lord, as a, as a catalyst, Lord, for change. Help us, Lord, to walk in that and do that. Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself in that. And I pray that you would raise up in this church a group of people who are sold out for you, who are so in love with you that they would say, yes, Lord. Even though we fall down, even though we make mistakes, that we would just continue to get up and we would go and share the hope of Christ with, with our families, our neighbors, and our community, and ultimately the world. I pray, Father, you're glorified in that. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.